Well, it's a it's a privilege to be back with you again this morning. Um, yeah, just uh, love the heart of the church family here, uh, and just w- just being around you. Love your tenderness towards the Lord, your hunger for Him, your passion for Him. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is inspired by that. I am. I'm like Lord. I I like this man, and I like his hunger for you, and and a childlikeness of delighting God's word and a delight in God's presence, and a thirst for Him, it's, it's not as common as you might think. And uh, so I commend you for that, and it's, a, it's, a, it's inspiring to be around you as you're uh, pursuing the Lord. So uh, the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to look at it is time to seek the Lord. Uh, I love the fact that's your theme throughout the whole year. Uh, let's just pray, and, and we'll ask the Lord to help us as we do this together. Father, thank you that you are with us. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you that we've been able to worship you. Thank you for the public reading of the Word of God. We thank you that even what we've read in Isaiah 55 tells us that your Word will produce what you sent it to produce. It will not return to you void, but it will accomplish what you have sent it out to do. And thank you that as we preach your word, pray your word, confess your word, declare your word. It goes out, circles around the earth and comes back to you and says, job accomplished. Thank you that your word always produces, just like rain and snow produce a harvest. We thank you that your word does the same. And so we have confidence in you, that you watch over your word. And I pray that the word that has been declared this weekend is about to be declared right now. I pray that it would produce a harvest in the church family here. Not only for Swanley, but for further afield with Kent. Thank you for the vision of seeing a shift in the spiritual atmosphere. Lord, I pray that there really would be things shifting spiritually. Thank you that when we declare your word, when we engage in the place of prayer, then it moves and shifts things in the spirit realm. We have a confidence in you today that you are doing that amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It it really is time to seek the Lord. Uh, I love the scripture. This is taken from Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, Sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, And break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. If you're a preacher or if you're studying, those thoughts in that Scripture are really, really easy to grapple with. Sometimes you're looking at a text and you could say, how do I get my head around this? This is so easy. You sow righteousness for yourselves, You do the right thing, and you reap the right thing. You reap the fruit of unfailing love. So there's a sowing that we're doing and a reaping that's coming of unfailing love. I think it's in communion with God, His unfailing love, His engagement with us. We are to break up unplowed ground, so the hard places in our lives, those things that have become hardened to what God is doing, he wants them to be, imagine a garden, get a fork, you, you, you know, after you've had a few weeks of dry weather and you've not been in that vegetable patch or whatever it's been, you've got to really loosen up the hard areas, make them soft and tender again. 
And I, I believe that this is what this scripture calls us to. And we do it by seeking the Lord. It's going to be our emphasis this morning, that phrase, seeking the Lord. And then He comes. How long do you seek Him? You seek Him until He comes. And until He showers. Don't you like the picture that the prophet Hosea paints? You break up unplowed ground. You take those hard areas that you've left undealt with. And many times in our lives we do this. We say, Lord, you can have this, but this area we're not going to touch. You know that that person wronged me, and they deserve my quiet treatment. You know that my offense against my brother is because of the way they did. And we leave it unplowed, and it becomes hard. Or there's a habit that's developed over years, and we say, well, I'm a good person. I don't do lots wrong, but I'm not going to allow this to be touched. And the Lord would say, if you're going to seek me, I'm going to have to have access to every area. We're going to break up the unplowed ground. And then we're going to seek the Lord. And we seek Him, we pursue Him until He comes and He begins to shower righteousness on us. We experience something of the outpouring of the Spirit into our relationships, into our families, into our community. And it start, this is how shifts happen. They happen through surrendered lives. We, I said yesterday, become the gateways for the King to come. Uh, somebody just told me now that you've got a plaque on the outside about a gateway church. And I, I didn't know that. I've just seen it, it like literally 10 minutes ago. Uh, but the gateway analogy metaphor, it's not just a metaphor, it actually becomes a reality. Starts by humans becoming gateways. But you can't be a gateway unless you are seeking the Lord, breaking up unplowed ground, sowing the right things, right actions in the way that we live. He comes into us. He then comes out of us to the world around us. And my, my focus in the next few minutes is going to sit in this one phrase of seeking the Lord. So I love the verse. I haven't really expounded it in depth, but I'm just painting a picture with a, with a verse. That's your theme for the year. And I'm sure Reverend George has already done that earlier this year for you as it's a theme. And I, I've been reflecting in preparation for this morning, which, which way do I take this? Because there's so much we can talk about when we talk about seeking the Lord. And the message I'm about to share would be one of my life messages, but I would say it is also one of the most neglected things in the church today. The pursuit of God, the seeking of God, the growing in the knowledge of who God is. Just think about the phrase, seeking God, seek God. Um, take away the religious aspect of it and think, what do I mean by that? Let's draw an analogy. I'm married to Esther when we were courting, she always tells me that's an old phrase to use, but it's one that comes to me. I was courting her. Um, what was I really doing? I was seeking Esther. I was seeking to grow in the knowledge of who she was. How does she think? What makes her tick? How can I bring her delight? How can I impress her? Uh, what kind of person is she? And the more I sought her, the more in love I fell with her, the more I grew as an individual in my relationship with her. And really, the last 25 years has all been in our marriage relationship about seeking 
It's, 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 it's getting to know something. It's pursuing somebody. So when we talk about seeking the Lord, we're really talking about growing in the knowledge of who He is. We're saying we want to grow in intimacy with who He is. That we're going to pursue Him and delight in Him. We're going to look to Him to come and do what only He can do. We're coming to Him because He satisfies the deepest desire and longing of every human heart. Sadly, our churches across the UK today are filled with people that have no frame of reference for seeking God, for growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, A.W. Tozer, anybody heard of A.W. Tozer? Uh, A a very well-known, I would call him a prophet, pastor, teacher. He was really a prophetic voice uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago. He said this, He said, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshipping men. I don't know if you hear what he's saying. He said, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted a very low ignoble, utterly unworthy of thinking men. They used to think highly of God. They had a reverence for God. They saw Him in His majesty and in His glory, which awakened something in their hearts because they could see Him. And now that they don't seek Him and they don't know who He is, they've replaced that knowledge of God with something that He said that it is utterly unworthy of thinking humans. It's a very staggering statement to make. And I would say it is truer now than whatever, five or six decades ago when it was penned. The church today preaches about a thousand different things. How to have a great marriage, how to be successful financially, how to do this, how to do that. We talk about subjects from the Bible, uh, the supernatural, uh, even prayer. And I don't mind those topics, they're biblical. But when we talk about seeking the Lord, we are actually talking about a restoration of the knowledge of who God is. A restoration of His majesty, of His glory, of His wonder. Who is this holy, supreme being that we worship? Who is this one that is self-created? Nobody created Him. He's he's uncreated, self-existent, eternal God. He lives outside of time and yet has created time and steps into time. The Bible calls him holy. In other words, he's other. You cannot compare him to anything else. There's no class. If I said to you, rabbit, and and you never knew what a rabbit was, and I said they're furry, you can compare it to something that you know is furry. If I said it had ears, you can compare it to something that you know has ears. If I said it chews the cud, you think, ah, I can. And slowly I'm painting a picture that you can compare with something else. When I say God, there is no comparison, nothing you can compare Him to. And that's why the Bible says He is holy, He is other, He is uncreated, He is self-existent. 
And yet this beautiful God creates us for relationship with himself and steps into humanity. When you start thinking about who he is, it is mind-blowingly staggering that we could have relationship with him. So when we say, seek the Lord, it is this uncreated God that you are drawing near to. Tozer goes on to say, the church has done this, this low knowledge of God. The church has done this, not deliberately, but little by little, and without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes the situation all the more tragic. It's happened little by little over the years. And he says, the low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. Our problems, our issues, they're a result of a low view of God. So when we say, seek God, it's time to seek God. I would say to you, nothing satisfies the thirst of the human heart like seeing and savoring who God is. The deepest longing of every human is to see God. To know Him, to be known by Him, to be lost in the wonder of who He is. If I was in a Pentecostal church right now, they would have helped me just a little bit. Because I, I, I think I'm communicating better than you're responding. But I'm in a URC church, so you are welcome to be dignified and quiet. I, I don't know if this staggers you. As I'm speaking to you, I am myself being like, Lord, I need to see you all over again. How have I ever put you inside of a box? How have I ever thought that I know who you are and what you do and it's all okay? Five hundred years from now, for those of you who have given your lives to Christ and will be in eternity with Him, you will still be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not because you're like the angels, you're not on repeat. You will see something new in His character, in His nature that you've never seen before, and it will stagger you. And you'll be like, really? I never saw that in you. He is the most fascinating being in the whole of the universe. And the church today will yawn her way through the reading of Scripture, the gathering of the saints, because they have a low view of Him. So when we say it's time to seek the Lord, it's not a religious phrase. It's an invitation into what every human heart will ultimately be satisfied by. It's just that we've lost our view of Him. And today we are being beckoned by the Holy Spirit. Come, seek the Lord. Be satisfied. A new car, a, a, a holiday by the beach, a, 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 a child born. All of them are beautiful things. Like, you, you know, I can admire a, ski scape, a, a seascape, a mountainscape. I, I've traveled to many, many nations of the world and I see people groups, and I think, wow. And all of it enriches us. It grows us. That's why when we take a walk, whether it's in the mountains or by the sea, in the winter or in the summer, all of it enlarges the human heart. 
But Jonathan Edwards, 300 years ago, he said, if we see the whole of creation with goodwill, but we do not see God, we are infinitely parochial. Like, I know those things enlarge me. Taking a walk in the country is extremely helpful and healthy. We see God in His creation. It ministers to us. And yet the Lord is saying, but come see me. All of it echoes who I am. In all of creation, Psalm 19, it's all crying out to the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, it's all saying, there's a creator with a vast canvas. Come, delve into the riches of who he is, the mysteries of who he is. So it's not a chore to wake in the early hours to seek the Lord. Because more than just seeking the Lord to do something in a geographic area, I want that, and we are called to do that. I come and seek the Lord because there's no greater joy for the human heart than to be lost in the glory of God. He says, come, this is what you were created for. This is what will satisfy your heart. When I, when I say to you that nothing will enlarge the human heart like seeing and savoring God, understand that humans, Christians, struggle with sin primarily because their heart has never been enlarged. Uh, John Piper, uh, let me see if I've got the quote here. I'm, I'm not sticking to my notes at all, but uh, this is a beautiful quote of... Um, he would say, inside and outside the church, let me say it this way, inside and outside the church, Western culture is drowning in a sea of triviality, pettiness, banality and silliness. Television, trivial. Radio is trivial. Conversation has become trivial. Education is trivial. Even Christian books are trivial, apart from mine. <laughs> he says... Worship styles are trivial. And he says, it is inevitable that the human heart, which was made to be staggered with the supremacy of Christ, but instead is drowning in a sea of banal entertainment, will now reach for the best natural buzz that it can get. Sex, shopping, another thrill. Therefore, the deepest cure to our pitiful addictions aren't mental strategies. The deepest cure is to be, listen to this, intellectually, emotionally, relationally, staggered by the infinite, everlasting, unchanging supremacy of Christ in all things. This is what it means to know Him. Christ has purchased this gift for us at the gift of His own life. How did Jesus describe eternal life? John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and your Son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life, that they may know you. Aldrin's with me today. He kindly drove me up last night after our meeting in Wolverhampton. and We were reading together just one John one, two, three this morning, and just saying, I said, it's everywhere. 1 John 1 uh, is, is a declaration, that which we have seen, that which we have touched, that which our hands have, 
held on to, we proclaim to you. And, and he says, we do it so your joy might be complete and that you may be brought into fellowship with the Son and the Father. This whole thing is about relationship. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And me and the Father, we will come and we will make our home with you. This isn't a transactional gospel. This is a relational gospel. But just like in a marriage relationship, I seek my wife. She seeks me. We get to know one another. The greatest relational journey any of us can be on is to grow in the knowledge of God. And we do that by seeking the Lord. I would say, and, and I would say this without hesitation, and I believe it to be theologically correct. That's what I'm about to say. That the greatest calling for every human is to seek God. Uh, the Westminster Catechism would put it this way. Westminster Catechism, full of 107 questions with 107 answers to help you grow in your theology. They would teach it to people and even kids. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. That's a great statement. That's, that's theology summed up. The chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. That simplifies everything. True? Is that it? Yep, that's it. Because as you get to know Him, your heart will change. As you get to know Him, He invites you into a bigger story. As you get to know Him, selfishness pales into insignificance. As you get to know Him, sin loses its grip on your heart. Um, another friend of mine, uh, Bob Sorge, he's in Kansas City, uh, a tremendous praying man. Uh, in his book, Secrets of the Secret Place, he says, powerful things happen inside you when you spend time with God. You could put it like this, powerful things happen inside you when you seek the Lord. When you're in His presence for extended periods, the molecular composition of your soul gets restructured. I mean, how cool is that? It's exactly what happens. When you spend time in God's presence for extended periods of time, the molecular composition of your soul gets restructured you start to think differently and you don't know why. You have different passions and interests and you don't know why. God is changing you on the inside in ways that you can't cognitively analyze. All you know is that sinful affections that once pulled at your soul no longer have their former power over you. And the secret? Simply spending large chunks of time in God's presence. Loving Him, imbibing His Word, being wowed by Him, gazing upon the Christ, looking into His eyes. I'm inviting you today to seek the Lord, and He will come. I, I said earlier, 500 years from now, you were still being saying, holy, holy. You know the creatures in heaven, they're about 100 feet tall, uh, these cherubim that are crying, holy, holy, holy. And, and they're, not on, they're really not just created to repeat saying, holy, holy, holy. 
And you know the description in Revelation, they have eyes all around them, eyes everywhere, eyes on their back. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And they're so staggered by His majesty, they turn around to cover their eyes. And there's eyes at the back, and again they're fine, saying, holy, holy, holy. I mean, they are, they are overwhelmed by the glory of who God is. And not just 500 years from now, 500 million years from now, we will still be drinking in the glory of who He is. Our love will grow. Our relationship will grow. Time as we know it here and now is, is temporal. This will all shift and change. And what we will do in eternity, the Father is inviting us to get involved in right now, to give ourselves to this. There is, I mean, I could literally say so much about this subject. I, I did have in mind to read to you about 15 or 20 names of God. I won't do it right now, but it, it, because one of the ways to grow in the knowledge of God is to know the names of God. Every name of God reveals a different facet of who He is. And, and the reason the Lord has so many names in Scripture, every time there's a revelation of one of His names, He's showing us who He is. And we see it and we go, wow. For example, in Judges chapter 6, it says that the Israelites had been impoverished. The Midianites had been robbing their harvests. There's chaos. They're trying to, every time they get a harvest, the Midianites would come like locusts and take everything for themselves. They were hiding in wine presses, trying to do their farming. It was just chaos and anarchy everywhere. And in the midst of that, round about verse 24, to Gideon, the Lord revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom. It's powerful. It doesn't just mean it's peaceful. It actually means the removal of anarchy and chaos and confusion and where the enemy's been stealing, shalom comes. It's actually quite a militant term. The Lord's saying, I will be your shalom. Where the enemy is robbed and where you've been hiding, where there's been chaos and anarchy, I'm going to bring my order, my peace, my kingdom will come. First time, Judges 6, revelation of Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. So when I now pray that, I actually say, Lord, over our chaotic relationships right now, over this city, over this place, we pray there'll be a revelation of Jehovah Shalom. I pray that anarchy would disappear, chaos taken away, where the enemy is robbing, that he would be stilled, and that Jehovah Shalom will manifest. I'm, I'm telling you, I pray those names regularly. And as I pray them, revelation comes and the Holy Spirit enlarges within my own heart. It, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. The first revelation of that was when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac and, uh, and the Lord provided a ram and there was a revelation of his name for the first time, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Every time we're in the midst of tough situations, we know, Lord, you gave yourself as provider. We come to you today. We thank you that you are our Jehovah Jireh. Am I helping anybody a little bit? Yeah. Just, uh, we could just have a coffee break instead. And uh, what, what time do we finish this session? Okay, I'll finish with one last thought. And, and this is a bit of application. I, I really haven't uh, stuck to my notes at all. I could take you to Proverbs 2, 1 to 6. It gives you a number of steps 
of, of growing in the knowledge of God, growing in the whole knowledge of the Holy One. But I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 1. We touched it yesterday, verses 17, 18, 19. As a, watch this as a step progress to growing in the knowledge of God, seeking the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was born in revival. If you know, in Acts 19, you can read the story of the Ephesus church. It grew to be a very, very large church, uh, anywhere from 80,000 to 120,000 people. Timothy became the bishop over Ephesus. It's a church born in revival. They burnt, at, when the revival happened, they burned 50,000 drachma worth of witchcraft books and spells and all kinds of stuff. And they came and made a big bonfire worth millions of pounds today. It, in other words, it was a true turning to the Lord. The city was turned upside down. We, we know that. They actually said it. They've turned this whole city upside down with their teachings about this Jesus. Uh, Ephesians would also be one of the books where the Apostle Paul doesn't tell them off. There's no discipline. It's, a, it's, it's one of the high water levels of Scripture. And, and the Lord comes in the midst of that, and Paul does, and he writes this letter, and he says this. He says, I keep asking the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, Keep asking him that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So this is a church born in revival. He's got nothing bad to say to them. And he's saying, I'm praying for you that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I want to know why. Is it for better church planting? Is it for societal reformation? Is it for revival? And this is what he says. I pray that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I'm like, that's it. I mean, why don't you ask them for church planting, for revival? For He's like, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you would know him better. I, I'm, I know that doesn't sound very powerful, but it is. Paul said, I keep asking this. For a church born in revival, moving in the supernatural, thousands of people strong, Paul's number one prayer for them, he starts the book of Ephesians by saying, I am praying that the Holy Spirit would be to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know Him better. In other words, seek the Lord. Know Him. Why? Because He knew nothing will change them like knowing God. We are often dealing with peripheral issues when the main issue is we need to seek the Lord. And those peripheral issues will be dealt with if we would seek the Lord. And then he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Or one translation, the eyes of your heart would be opened. You've got naturalized, you've got spiritualized. For many Christians, their spiritual eyes are, are, are shut. They're going to be opened. And there's three reasons why. So that you would know the hope to which he has called you. The inheritance that's yours, glorious inheritance, in fact, it says, with the saints, and is incomparably great power for us who believe. So he's saying, you, Spirit of wisdom and revelation, to know him better, to know the hope he's called you to, to know the inheritance that's yours, and the power that's for those who believe. In other words, God has a big story unfolding on the earth with loads of power in that story, loads of riches in that story, but I'm praying that your eyes won't be shut, 
give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The key is to know Him and see Him, but then you'll see what is unfolding on the earth and you'll know the inheritance that's yours and the power that's yours. All of it comes by seeking the Lord, growing in the knowledge of God. The application is simple. Set your heart to know Him. If it was going to get really practical, I would say, where are you seeking the Lord? What time do you seek the Lord? How has seeking the Lord started to infuse your daily schedule? Because it has to. There's no shortcut. And I'm constantly shocked and surprised how Christians could easily watch two or three hours of trivial, banal entertainment, but they would never think of spending two or three hours gazing upon the beauty of the uncreated God. And yet, gazing upon Him would transform you like nothing else would. I'm not calling you to a legalistic, sad life. I'm calling you into a delightful adventure, into the only being in the universe that could satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. The banal entertainment of our world just dulls our senses. Constant nibbling at the world is what causes our souls to diminish and become small. This weekend, this morning, I believe that the Lord has His hand outstretched. He wants to revive us again. But He's saying, come, put your hand in mine. And I would say it's time to seek the Lord and go on the greatest adventure of the human heart. He'll help you. We can't do it by ourselves. His presence is more rewarding than anything else we could have. Amen. It is no wonder why the Apostle Paul was crying and said that I may know him. That's Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. And the power of his resurrection. It was a heart cry that Paul, that I may know him. And I want us to live today with that cry that I may know you, Lord. And for you to imagine Paul who had this fantastic encounter with God years after he's still crying Lord that I may know you that tells you you never graduate in knowing God oh you never graduate in knowing God if ever you think you've known him oh you've lost it you have derailed because every day he reveals himself in a different way hallelujah just what pastor was saying just a moment ago well as I said at the beginning, it's not every Sunday that we take a short break for us to stretch because the next phase we're coming back to, we have communion and we're going to be prayed for. There'll be, you know, fantastic time of ministry. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your servant, Pastor Steve, that you've brought here to be a blessing to us. And Lord, as we take this break, we're not taking a break from you. We're only, Lord, wanting to stretch ourselves and get ourselves ready, Lord, for what is coming next. And so, Father, Lord, we pray, bless even this time that, Lord, when we come back, we will continue to flow in this anointing, even into a higher level of your anointing, Lord, if there's anything like that. So, Father, we pray, be with us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.